Hello everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of BXB's Bits and Bobs, episode one. I am your host, and I've got to remember to talk into the camera, because we're on camera! We're on a Google Hangout, this is live, and if you are unfortunate enough to stumble across this while we fumble our way through it, I do apologise, but this will be our first episode, and it will get better, and it will hopefully be more entertaining than us not being on camera. But I'm your host, I'm Ben, uh, I'm the editor of BXB, and I wrangle these fools together today to talk about mostly video games, but it's not going to just be video games. With me, the stalwart, the skillful writer, the artisan of BXB, Richard Worrell. I'm an artisan, that's nice, thanks. I don't know quite what, what, know what that means, but it sounds good. I, I see it's the way you craft your words, you create wonderful pieces of, of literature for us to enjoy when you play games, which is yeah. occasionally my best. <laughs> Accurate, yeah? Quality over quantity, mate. Absolutely. He, he, Richard is my rock. He's been with us since the Brit Xbox days. He came over for this relaunch and helped us, helped us build this new team of creators. And one of the new team, our social media manager, I'm going to go with the full title for him today, and our first guest on BXB's Bits and Bobs on our rotating third chair, it's Gavin Handley. Hello. Hello. The famous Jeej from back in the day. Yes. Uh, way yeah, back. Will it, Let's do that straight away, because I think Gavin's story is quite interesting. Uh, he's a time-traveling video gamer. So tell us what I, what I mean by that, Gavin. Tell everybody what I mean, because okay. I think he's curious. Well, uh, how did I label it to you before that I, I've been in a kind of... Not to mock anyone who's ever been in a coma, by the way, but I've been in a kind of uh, games coma that I've recently thawed out of. Actually, that's not even... A coma, you, that's not cryogenic, so I, I, didn't, I didn't thaw. In fact, I wasn't even in a coma. So, uh, <laughs> that made the dog bark. Um, did so, yeah. I was uh, I was on BXB when it was uh, what Brit Xbox back in 2002, when Ashley set that up, and you know I was a bit of a stalwart on there, and uh, I was a moderator, and somewhere in between moving to Australia and my Xbox 360 breaking, I just stopped playing games, and fast forward to about two months ago, I inherited an Xbox One, and I'm back. Tell people how you've set your Xbox One up and how you play it with it, because I think that's also okay. quite an edge case as well that you don't hear about very often. Yeah, so um, I was saying to someone yesterday, actually, that in recent last few years, I've been itching to get an Xbox uh, One because I'd seen some game trailers and thought, oh, I'd really like to play that, but I don't own a television. So the prospect of buying an Xbox One and buying a television seemed a bit daunting, so I'd avoided it. And, uh, yes, yeah, so I was gifted a second-hand Xbox One, um, and I learned that you could do streaming. So from the Xbox, you can stream to a Windows 10 machine, but that gets more convoluted for me because I have a MacBook. So I don't have Windows 10, but I do have an app on the Mac called Parallels, which enables me to put a Windows 10 partition on the Mac. I then have an Xbox which lives under my bed, like some sort of uh, gaming <laughs> troll machine, and it streams from the Xbox to the Windows 10 partition on my Mac, and then I plug a controller into the MacBook, and that's how I play. But because it's a bit ropey with a wireless internet connection, I have to put the quality onto its lowest. So all these wonderful full HD games, or whatever they are on Xbox One, they look a little more akin to Xbox 360 games, but hey, I can play games. So it's kind of like you're still playing games seven years ago. Yeah, and if you think about it, I've never been able to experience these high-definition games. So for me, it's just like, 
some new games came out for the Xbox 360. <laughs> that's so weird, man! And that's probably why you like The Division so much. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I shouldn't I shouldn't knock The Division. I, I, I reviewed The Division. I gave it, I think I gave it an 8. I really like The Division. But I didn't like it to Gavin's level of addiction. Who He's one of those people that I, I've spoken about before on my friends list where who, who that's all you seem to ever be playing. And, it, yeah. and it's and it's I don't know how it can hold your attention <laughs> as long as it has. It's crazy. I, I've gone from a point where I really enjoyed it to now I think I'm ill. <laughs> so um, I, I find myself I log in daily and um, I go into the base of operations, which is you know the, the single player's base where you can do what you need to do. Um, and I know exactly what all the NPCs are going to say when they're going to say it. Um, and some of them annoy me, and I talk back to them. I'm definitely going mad. I usually tell them where to go, and I need help, so get me help. It does, it does sound like you need a new game. I think it's interesting, though, that for me, when I came to The Division, it felt like um, another open-world Ubisoft game. But to you, it was your first open-world Ubisoft it, game. I tell, you, I tell you, it's interesting for me because... It was the first new game to come out that, that was hype after I got the Xbox One. And people were making enough noise that it made me think, yeah, I want that. So I pre-ordered it and got it. And yeah, I, I've, I've never played a Call of Duty game. I've never played a Battlefield game. Um, I haven't really played console games since about, I'll say 2005. And so for me, even the graphics look great, even though I was on super low quality and it looked like an Xbox game or something. Um, so it had enough about it that it grabbed me. And also, I'm a bit of a wimp on a lot of shooting games, so the idea that I could hide behind a car and just pop up when I wanted was very uh, comforting for me. And, um, yeah, it, it, it had enough for me. And then when, I, when I'd when i observe other people talking about elements of it that were boring or it felt like they were racing through and people were using phrases that were so alien to me like end game content and I, I didn't know what that was and even the acronyms like DPS or, it, it seemed so normal and for me I, I felt like maybe back when I used to play games only the biggest first person shooter PC gamers perhaps talked in that language now everyone does but it also I've also felt it was a bit strange that these phrases are interchangeable between games, even to the point where the game's makers use them. It's strange to me how a vernacular has just been accepted across entire genres or games. Uh, I find that quite interesting. Like, mm. I guess the nearest thing that I can compare that to would be, like, say, a HUD. Back in the day, most shooter games or whatever had a HUD. But that seemed quite basic. Now everyone's got the same kind of... Maybe, it's, as you said, it's these open-world games, but for me, this is kind of my first... I don't even think about it. It's weird. It's like um, we've just adopted all these abbreviations. I find myself sometimes stringing together sentences when I'm talking to maybe a non-gamer or uh, a non-gaming um, enthusiast, like crazy person like us. And I'll be the sentences will consist of four or five three-letter um, abbreviations, and then I kind of stop and I go, "That was gibberish to you, wasn't it?" And I'm they there. Go, yes, and I'm like, "I'm really sorry. I need to remember that not human, normal human beings don't talk like that." Yeah, I'm, um, I'm learning very much on the fly. I think I'm doing well, but there'll be at least, even now probably, one a week where I go, oh, that means that, or oh, he means that. Like even last night, I, I, I ventured out from the division, which is unusual, and I played a bit of Titanfall, and the guy I was playing with just kept saying, play the objective or something, 
and I'm saying, I don't really know what that means. And he's like, whole day or whole B, and I'm like, no. Nope. What does that consist of? What What do you need me to do? And I felt really, I felt pretty stupid, but it's just like, just you know, I need layman's terms here. What would you like me to do? But there's so there's a lot of yeah. assumed knowledge. That's amazing. I mean, it's like a baby's first steps into into modern gaming. It's yeah. I, 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 that's one of the reasons I was excited to get you on the podcast and have you as part of the team because I think you're going to bring a really interesting um, perspective to these to these modern games. Maybe see through some of the bullshit that others yeah. like us have got so used to that, and, and we've accepted to this point where we're blinded by it a little bit. Um, so I think that's uh, I think that's really curious. I mean, well, and it's going to be I'm going to be interested to find out what you're excited for coming up in E3 and the end of the year games and what what's on your radar. Maybe we'll talk about that. Later or in the next the next show or something, but yeah, it's, it's really curious. Very very briefly then, let me Go ask on. you. Let me ask you guys. Yes. Do you? I mean, as you said, for you it's second nature, Ben. But do you not like see how a lot of these games use the exact same system, like the, this concept of grinding and leveling up and stuff? Do you not feel that it's a bit tired? Oh, it's weird that it's generic across so many games and games makers. There is there is a level of. Um stifled creativity that's happening right now. I think games developers have, are playing very safe with a lot of the games that are being produced at the moment because of the cost of development. Um, so I think there is certainly a... They don't want to yeah, take risks. The, the, yeah, exactly. And so the shared experience shooters like Destiny and The Division and uh, the more that are coming, and you know the, the multiplayer-only experiences that were Titanfall and things like that, uh, and Battlefront, um, th- things are being developed in a way which don't really push envelopes. So when a game does come out that does feel different or is perhaps a, like a game I'm going to talk about later, a throwback to something that came out 20 years ago, it really stands out because it isn't one of those experiences. It isn't a cookie-cutter experience, such as the Ubisoft open-world experience, which there, there are so... I, I mean, I remember in the last couple of years, I reviewed just about all of them, and I got so burnt out at one point, I, I, I felt sick when I saw a map of a Ubisoft game because you just see all this crap and it's all the same crap that you've done six times before in the last four months and you just you just want to die. Well, to but is the, it... <laughs> I was gonna say to end the division topic then for me, mm. uh, you know maybe you'll be pleased. Um, I'm now getting bored of it. Well, the thing is, I I bought the season pass. Me too. You know, I'm going to come back. I'm going to see what new content comes up. So it's not like I've, I've drawn a line under it. The main reason I stepped away is the problems, the, the bugs and the exploits that ruined the, the things like the Dark Zone and stuff like that. So. Do you want to talk about those? So, uh, I, is it like a couch situation where I'm going to lie down and, and get them off my chest? <laughs> no, no. I mean, like, <laughs> for instance, um, someone was saying to me yesterday that they stopped playing Division ages ago, which seems kind of mad because it's not really been out long, but I understand. But... Um, that they feel like the community's a bit toxic. And I, I said, well, in, in my experience, I've actually met some really, really sound people on there that are just go out of the way to help you. It's a bit nervy in the dark zone. I suppose most people by now know what that's about, but it's it's the acronym PVP, which I learnt. Um, so uh, that's a lot about... like what you does that mean, yeah? Apparently it means player versus player. And... Mm. Uh, in the the divisions kind of it's quite a nervy part of the game because even your teammates might turn on you. You'd like to think not like your mate mates, but um, it's people you team up with. And I I had an experience then. It's it's not good for the it's not good for the heart. But um, I, my, my mostly my experience with other players and it's been really good. Like everyone's been quite cool. But for instance, when they released the first lot of content, which was the incursion Falcon Lost. Um, there's now a situation where I think uh, Massive or Ubisoft have made a massive misstep with incorporating gear score 
which is something that happens when you get to the, the final level. So when you get to level 30, there's a gear score, and it's an average score based on all your equipped gear. And they stated that for Falcon Lost, you needed a minimum of 140, recommended 160. And now we're in a position where if you try and matchmake and join some strangers, you're now in a position where people with what's considered a low gear score, which now apparently is anything below about 190, whoever's decided that, they're pleading with these people, please don't kick me, please don't kick me. And now some of these people are saying, well, I'm deliberately helping people because they're getting booted from games. So unless you've got three mates who can help you, you can't play this additional content because this snobbery, and, and it's complete false because... Um, as people are now kind of writing articles, I've seen on like Reddit, the gear score is actually not that important. Now, what's more important is how much damage you can take. So actually, I got to a point where I had a gear score of 183, which is 23 points better than they even recommend. And my health was at 40,000. Now people are saying, you know what, you need a minimum of 60,000 health to do this incursion, otherwise you're going to die. So this, this gear score doesn't seem to really matter that much and it's causing strangers to exclude people or kick them from their games. So a lot of people now are being left with a bad taste in the mouth because they can't do this incursion. They might have paid for this additional content and they can't do it because they're getting booted from games because they don't have high enough equipment. And the only way you can get high enough equipment is just by playing the game for hours and hours and hours and being very good at it and, and, and reaping the benefits of, of the gear. Or the irony being, the best way to get the high-end gear is by completing the incursion. But how can you do that if people keep kicking you out? Well, it's almost like you play a lot of the division, Gavin. Mm. A little it's bit. Like that. Yeah, a little oh, bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought I just one more last thing, and we'll wrap it up. I mean, the idea that you're going to be able to cut that, uh, the cut the rope when you extract from the division, <laughs> when you extract from the dark zone, that that sounds insane to me that they're yeah, bringing yeah. that in. Like, it, oh yeah, the dark zone that should be less relaxing. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. yeah, let's make it more stressful. Good idea. I, I don't um, play much. I don't play much dark zone, by the way. It, I, I haven't got nerves for it. It stresses me out genuinely. <laughs> right, Richard. Hello. Hello. You I've don't never play played the division. division. No, never no, played it. Never, never played it. It's a, it's a good game, but um, at this point, I'm not sure if I'd recommend it to you. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> one, of those, one of those things because it takes up such a monopoly of your time, as so many games do these days. It's one that I didn't feel I had time for. Off the back of Destiny being in and out of that over a series of months, yeah. it seems like most games these these days seem to want to just eat up your entire um, free free time to the point of excluding everything else. And uh, it just feels quite bad for the industry as a whole, really, that everything that we play these days has to have a multiplayer added on, has to have uh, experience or whatever, just some constant chip, chip, chip away that makes you think, oh, I've got to play that again today. I've got to log in this morning, got to log in again after work. Well, Davin, here's a buzz term for you. That's games as a service rather than a product. There you go. I read. Right. I, I did read about this. I read about mm. this. That's what that's what Richard is describing. The idea that you're buying a service and they want to keep you within their ecosystem so that you keep on purchasing DLC and you keep on buying their season passes and you log in every day and it's this idea of gr this kind of grind so that you don't go to the competition that you don't even know about the competition because all you care about is the division or yep. Destiny. Um, it's another good example of that service sort of mentality. Um, but yeah, if, no, I think if Richard, it's going uh, forwards. If Richard, if Richard bought the division today, even to kind of catch up with people on his friends list, yeah, you'd you'd have to put in a couple of weeks play really to uh, to get mm. remotely caught up. It would well, take a, 
it was a similar problem that the Destiny had, but they've done stuff retroactively to fix that, like, uh, so you can power level to be at an equal footing with people much quicker now okay. if you're a new player. Um, and I imagine they'll do something similar with these these content packs that come out with the Division um, the part of the Season Pass. I am slightly worried that, I, you know, I bought the Season Pass and that it's going to come out and I'm not going to be able to play it <laughs> because I'm not going to be high enough level with my gear. I am slightly concerned about that, but... We'll see what happens uh, down the road with that. I mean, the next, the, the first paid pack is next month, isn't it? Or the it's, month after. It's coming June very July. soon. One point, yeah. one point two update is due imminently, and yeah, they, I mean, they've they've roadmapped it all out. But that's interesting me as well to see that someone, I mean, not only even the concept of, um, you know, season passes is obviously very new to me and interesting. And as you said, you know, it's to try and keep you coming back, and I understand it fully, but. I'm, it's interesting for me to kind of work it out on the fly that they've got a year's worth of content span, spanned out, but I'm seeing a lot of people quitting the game, even people that have bought the content. I assume some of them will come back to see what the new stuff's about, but, but there seems to be a lot of people that have just gone, nah, I'm, I'm done with that game. So it makes me wonder how they can string, string people along for a whole year. Mm. Well, yeah. They do, they've got quite a lot of players and their attention isn't as bad as... The, there's always the vocal minority online. I think that's what you'll find, Gavin. There, there'll be a lot of people gobbing about how... Oh, goodness. It happened, the same thing happened with Destiny, but they've still got a shit ton of players. Like, yeah, seriously. Okay. Like, but millions and millions of millions. Anyway, Richard, let's talk about something adult, grown-up, mature. You're going to go see some wrestling soon, aren't you? I'm very <laughs> jealous. <laughs> yeah, NXT is coming to my hometown. So, when is that? When is that? June... 20-something, 23rd, maybe? Damn it. Yeah, so about a month away. So Shinsuke Nakamura t-shirt. Oh, oh, I thought I recognised the strong style when you when you sat down earlier. <laughs> wow, I actually don't own any wrestling shirts. Um, I, I keep seeing them, especially the NXT guys, and I'm like, you know what, that's really cool, that looks really cool design, I really like that guy, I, I should support him. Respect for you to actually... You know, cough it up and, and give those guys a bit of cash because they do make money out of that. Their merch, you know, those particular particular wrestlers, they get a bit off the the profits there. So that that's cool. I'm I'm in a, I'm in actually a Destiny shirt today. You recognise that Warlock subclass Sunsinger shirt today? So no one, no, just me. Okay, fair enough. That's pretty nerdy. I, I won't deny it. Uh, <laughs> showing off our t-shirts, the wonders of video. Um, so do you want to talk about a little bit about wrestling? Well, go on, Gavin. Yeah, what's your t-shirt? Gavin? It's it's black. It's black. It's a black T-shirt. That's um, very goth of you. Well done. Bringing it back. <laughs> Rock. Yeah. Richard. <laughs> wrestling. I want to hear about a bit, a bit from Richard about wrestling. <laughs> so what, what, yeah. You're liking Shinsuke. He is pretty amazing, isn't he? he well, I don't know. I've, I've bought the T-shirt. I like Shinsuke Nakamura, but I do have my reservations about him. Um I'd normally go for high-flying, technical-style wrestlers. They're usually my favourite, the most exciting kind I go for. I suppose there's something different about Nakamura in that he's uh, very more, very much more um, sort of close quarters, um, knee attacks, and high-impact sort of uh, moves. But don't know. I'm kind of in two minds about him. I got a Samoa Joe T-shirt as well. I'm much more into Samoa Joe's um, heavy-hitting style, and for his size. He's like, yeah. ludicrously agile. Yeah, he, he moves like crazy. I will point out this a little bit. I break, I'm going to break kayfabe, Richard. Yeah, you're basically falling off the bottom of the screen here a little bit, mate. Can you do anything about your camera angle? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a little bit better. Show off the T-shirt a little bit. Well. It's all good. 
tip my Surface stand a bit. There it's nice go. that somebody How's bought that? a Surface in the UK. I have to say, you know, that you're, su you're supporting Microsoft on all fronts, as always. Rich is one of the few people that on the planet who has a has a, a Microsoft Windows phone. Well done. Yeah. They've just sold that, haven't they? Didn't they get rid of that side of their business? Didn't I read that the other day? No, that's they, bullshit. They got oh, okay. Nokia. I thought I saw they were getting rid of it, though. I'm, I'm pretty sure I did, but anyway. There's rumours all the time about uh, Microsoft selling their smartphone division. I think that particular rumour is about feature phones. Right. Um, I'm not sure what they do in feature phones anyway, because they, they owned Nokia for that purpose, didn't they? Right. And then they're, they're, um, they're, they're about to relaunch Nokia. 3310's coming back strong. Yeah. Nice. It's all about the retro phones, baby. You can kill someone with one of those. Yeah, actually, um, Motorola are about to bring back the Razer. Oh, really? Are they? Are they? Are they doing it like as a as a touch screen? Because I was actually thinking can about we just that. Bear in mind that Gav's only got news from 2005. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Hot true. new phone, flip phones. Wow, after, that's like in the Matrix, man. After this, you'll look up all the things I said and you'll be like, everything he said today to 2005. That's not new. He's like, keep... the, he's like the California man of technology. <laughs> I love to keep. I love to keep reminding myself. Stop saying new. It's not news. <laughs> no, it's true. I, wa I was genuinely thinking about this the other day. Why haven't they done a flip screen touch phone? Well, I think Motorola are about to announce. Yeah, it. that makes sense. I, I was thinking about that. I was like, wouldn't that mean it would be like stronger and like you know you wouldn't have to worry about the screen as yeah. much and all that kind of stuff. So it seems like a, an obvious thing to do. Really. Well, especially yeah. now they're getting so thin, like. Mm. Why not? And then you'd be able to cut down on the actual size of it in your pocket as well, which I think would be really, really, really helpful. Because I, I like my my iPhone six, the last iPhone six S, I think, but it is big, you know. Um, uh, and it kind of like, I like the power of it. it. It's an effectively good computational device, but at the same time, man, it, you know, I feel like I'm carrying around a brick in my pocket. Yeah, I've got time. an HTC One M8, and it's, I don't mind the size, but it is quite big. Mm. My uh, my wife got the the big iPhone, the really big iPhone. Okay, yeah, the like, Yeah, uh, and like I was like, that's insane. But I am quite jealous of it at times because the screen is so lovely. But at the same time, you know, I couldn't put it in my pocket. It's mad, but she has a handbag, doesn't she? Women with their handbags. Men can't really get away with that, though. I think you yeah. should be. Able to. You can have a man bag. You could. You could be like Jack Bauer. But I feel like I could only pull that off if I look like Keith Sutherland. I'm not quite there yet. So, you know, trying every day. Um, right, Richard, do you only you've only got NXT? You've got, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this to you because it is a big deal, and it's not exactly related to what we normally talk about on, on the on the on BXB's bits and bobs. I'm gonna say as if we've done more than one episode, but have your politics corner, and do your thing, Richard. Do your you thing. You cut out then. You cut out. What did you say? Do your politics corner. Do your thing. Politics corner. Uh, yeah. Or do you want me to just like? Well, you can put it down on the notes. Preach, man. Preach. Yeah. All right. Well, I did some leafleting yesterday for an um, EU referendum. Pest. I'm hoping my employers don't watch this because I'm probably not allowed to. But, um, yeah, that was an interesting experience. I'm voting to stay in the EU. Hopefully most of us will. Yeah. Uh, but it was interesting to spend a couple hours in town yesterday and just hear the vitriol of people that want to leave the EU. By, by and large, all of them are very angry at something in particular. Someone called me a traitor um, and started shouting um, various quotations at me from Winston Churchill. 
to demonstrate how much of a traitor I was and that the war was exclusively to defend British people. And who was I to say that European people were of any more value than us? So that was interesting. Um, and interesting kind of, is a word, kind of, yeah. Kind of, yeah, kind of depressing, but um, mm. I, I don't know if that's just Plymouth or... Is there recurring it, themes? Well, in terms of people's objections, yeah, they were all um, hideously offensive. Um, someone <laughs> someone said that they were voting to leave because they'd seen an Arab selling a big issue down the road. Um, it's that kind of What's level. What's that you know? even got to do with Europe? I'm Don't confused. Know. <laughs> oh, mate. I was just going to say, was there a recurring theme? Yes, they're all as thick as shit. But hey, uh, hang, on, but hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. But this is, but this is an important point here because um, are they? And, uh, look, yes. But, but 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 are they? Like that, that's the thing. Sometimes, like after the last general election, and there was this kind of outcry of, oh, nobody voted for Labour. The Conservatives are in it. They're shits. And you all you all thick. Why did you do that? And it's like. I think there's a difference sometimes between ignorance and stupidity, and I think it's very dismissive to just out and out just say they're th thick. Mm. Um, but that's why we should pursue the conversation, because after last general election, I was seeing lots of people, particularly on social media, shooting down others. Like They were basically attacking people, and it's like that's, that's the worst way to try and convince them to change their mind is by attacking yeah. them. Oh, oh God, you're, like, you're reasonable like Richard. Christ, oh, what am I going to do it. now? <laughs> I've, been, I've been there, but you just, I think... It does, I don't, Gav's right. It, it doesn't right. work to attack. Um, my approach yesterday was just to talk to people about it. You'll find that people will be more open to ideas if you just present the ideas. Let them decide for themselves, but um, that's the problem. Have faith people, in people, democracy. Well, you have to. People just have to have the information. And yeah. the, the trouble is that when they see the front of the sun or a more respectable newspaper, as I was told, the Daily Mail, <laughs> if people see that and that's all they see, then obviously that's what they're going to believe. So you don't need to press the point too hard. You just need to, have, you need to show that there is another side mm -hmm. and hope that people will listen to that and find out for themselves. I had... Um, I was cool. just going to say, I actually, um, just by, by chance, I saw that there was a conversation in my timeline on Facebook from some kind of extended family of an older generation, and they were talking about this very subject, obviously a lot of people talking about it at the moment, and they were all very much vote to leave, and there was a lot of ignorance. But what was a little bit refreshing is that we managed to have a conversation where nobody got offensive or attacked each other, and it, what I got, even though I could tell the, you know, the, the main guy, it was his war, he, he, had, he always voted conservative, was quite close-minded in a way, but one thing I did notice was he, he was genuinely interested in the conversation, and he felt, and as did I, even though we were coming from two different angles, that there wasn't enough and I know it's maybe a bit wishful thinking, but conclusive, clear information, either side of the argument, it's so yeah. muddied that, I mean, even, you know, I like to think I've got my finger on the pulse to a degree, but for even, I know I'm voting stay, but hand on heart, there's not enough easy-to-digest information out there either side. Like I saw a guy made a video, What their, their group's called Scientists for the EU, did you see this video on Facebook? No, and the seen. guy made a response video to Brexit the movie. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, it. And it was great, 
But I was watching it, not thinking, oh, I'm I'm of some sort of higher intellect, because a lot of it I didn't get, but all I could think throughout this whole video that was only eight minutes long was most people aren't, they're going to tune out, they're not going to hear what this guy's saying. It was so complex and convoluted. Hmm. How, how does how does the, the layman stand a chance? Well, this is the problem, isn't it? This is the problem, right? We elect people into government to make these decisions because we believe that they will become more informed than the general public. There should never have been a referendum about the EU, staying in the European Union for the exact reason that you just described, Gavin. I mean, it's like the most people, you know, what are you going to do? Take out a month from work to learn about the intricacies of the subject to make a fully informed decision. No, you're going to read three pamphlets and go, in, out. I mean, and that's, and that's all you're going to do. That's why it shouldn't be a decision that should be made by the public. And that's why it's such a fucking cop-out that Cameron made it one for the public to make. Because it's, it's just ridiculous. Now that way he can go, well, either whatever happens, you can say, the people chose. And, it, and I, nobody I can make an I don't have an issue with there being a referendum, but you're right in that it requires people to be informed. Yeah. And the trouble that we have with Cameron calling this referendum is that he's the very man that's created a situation where people are quite happy to believe in misinformation and misdirection. And he's done quite well out of that over the years. Now he's on the other side of it and he's worrying that maybe it won't go the way that he wants it to and maybe we will leave the EU. But don't worry, Richard, when we leave the EU and Cameron has to step down, it'll be fine because Boris Johnson will become Prime Minister and he'll fix everything. So don't can you, worry. Can you imagine? Worry, this, this is my worry about the, the outcome is that all this talk about us taking back our sovereignty it's not us, it'll be Mr. Johnson having his own sovereignty to do exactly what he likes. And just, that's just, the scariest outcome I can imagine. Just time travel a year into the future and see the world of Boris Johnson and Donald Trump running two of the yeah. biggest countries on the planet and then fear for <laughs> our safety. Like, okay. seriously. We're going back to the... <laughs> Going back to not being informed and there not being clear information, for me it feels literally a case of vote to stay are saying if we leave things are going to be really bad economically we'll be sent back to the dark ages. There's no tangible information because it's just a worst case scenario which is completely forgivable. There's, I've got no problem with people painting a worst case scenario but in the vote to leave people are kind of saying I think it's going to be fine. There's no information. Literally I saw someone post the other day something uh, along the lines of... Um, you know, typical Britain for the British kind of message, which is worrying in of itself. But then, um, just literally, like, there's usually we don't need Europe to tell us what to do. It costs this much money for us to do it, which is a lot of money. And um, you know, things will be better if we do it ourselves. And it's like based on what? Based on what? Well, based on the fact that we're not really a politics podcast, I'm going to probably have to move us on from this topic. Fair, fair because enough. if we did have any listeners, we may have just lost all of them. Oh, but I'm, ju I'm, ju I'm just, you know, it's important. I want to talk about it, and I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about it again in the future, depending on what happens. Um, but our own personal politics, political issues aside, for fuck's sake, go and vote. All yeah, right? definitely. That's, for me, that's yeah. the biggest issue. Everyone, make sure you register to vote. Go and vote. I should probably have asked if I could swear on YouTube or not. Probably not, but I, I have. No, no, you can. You, um, you've got you've got absolute fucking freedom to fucking swear. Brilliant. Well, fucking jolly good time. Let's have a cup of tea and be British. I want us to talk about another form of doom now. Not the doom that might happen from us leaving the European Union, but the doom that comes from hell and can only be fought by space marines. Mate, that's one of your best segues ever. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it.
I, I, I'm just riffing today. I haven't podcasted in ages, and it's really nice to be doing it again. Um, Doom, guys. I fell so far back into this hole. I love Doom. I've always loved Doom. And as I said at the top of my video review, I was uh, just, I, I was probably always going to enjoy this game, even if it was terrible. Just because of the idea of me fighting demons on Mars makes me happy. That's just the way it is. Sometimes like a dream job, really. I, I would sign up for that in an instant. Um, though I'd probably be killed within as many instances it took me to sign up. But Doom is back. Uh, Doom 2016. Um, it's a reboot of the original Doom. It's just come out on Xbox One, PS4, and PC, and it's glorious. It takes enough inspiration from the classic to make it feel like it's truly rooted in it and modernizes the game in enough ways that makes it feel like a, a modern first-person shooter as well, and I can't recommend it enough. Uh, I talk about it for about 15 minutes um, in my video review that went up last week, and the weird thing for me is I'm looking at my friends list right now, and they're kind of the same thing that happened with Quantum Break. Lots and lots of positive reviews, lots and lots of great talk about the game in the specialist medias and stuff like that, but not a lot of actual people playing it. I've only seen maybe like three or four people on my friends list playing it, um, and two of the them, division. two of them. Are, so yeah, you're playing the motherfucker. <laughs> so why aren't you guys playing Doom? Okay, so I played the online multiplayer beta. Yes. And that was a bit rich for my blood. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean a bit rich? So fast. So so because I. I'm not ignorant enough to um, to believe that there's no skill involved because I know there is and I know the cream rises to the top and there's going to be some people on there who are bloody excellent at these games. Standard. For me, I've just come out of my game in coma and it was so quick, so... It felt... So for me, on a personal level, it felt very random. It felt like I would spawn and then someone would shoot me in the head. And that's it. Over and over and over. Okay, because I mean, what it felt like to me was a throwback, uh, a little bit like a mixture between the original Doom's multiplayer, which was the first ever deathmatch, mixed with its pinnacle of their multiplayer de development, which was Quake, with a little bit of UT sprinkled on top, and then a little bit of Halo in there as well. Uh, interestingly enough, because it's de actually the multiplayer wasn't developed by it, it was developed by the guys that did the multiplayer for Halo 4. Um, so there is definitely some Halo in there. Um, and and I think it's a really fun mixture. I know a lot of people didn't like that multiplayer beta, and I feel like it might have put a lot of people off the game, which is a real shame, um, because the campaign is amazing. I'm um, hearing that. It's absolutely amazing and worth the price of admission alone, uh, regardless of the multiplayer and the amazingly uh, sort of complex but yet flexible snap map features are in there as well, which are, which are really, really cool. Not my cup of tea necessarily, but... That sounds crazy, doesn't it? When it's called Snap Map, you imagine that's just going to be just prefabricated rooms that you slot together, but yeah. it's a lot more detailed. Than oh, that, it's it? it's crazy. I mean, the fact is that you're not just like maybe like building a deathmatch arena for a bunch of guys. You can build, you know, fully form single player campaign missions. Um, you can do all the AI pathing. You can spawn all the enemies. You can do a lot. It's a lot of like um, if then how you know those kind of logic chains. So it's simple and yet offers a lot of complexity if you really want to dig into it um, to build these custom scenarios. Uh, and it's probably the area I've spent the least amount of time with because I'm waiting for the community to create lots of awesome shit that I can just jump in and enjoy. I'm not much of a sort of level designer myself. I'm more of a person that wants to enjoy the fruits of other people's labors because I'm lazy. Um, but, that, you know, that's just the way I am. Um, but, you know, with a single player, though, let's get back to that. It's... It's about 15 hours, which I thought was going to be a lot shorter. I expected it to be a six-hour campaign that I would blast through and be, it would be really shallow. It's got um, 
replayability because it's gone back to the sort of labyrinthian type maps which make you remember very reminiscent of the original doom unlike say uh, a call of duty which were very linear so there's all these secrets and hidden areas and unlockables uh, that make you really want to explore and and dig into all the and into all the fun and the nooks and cra- crannies everywhere it's so much fun um, and the combat itself just feels brilliant like the gunplay, the moment-to-moment gunplay uh, of going into a room full of different types of, of demons and creatures, bringing out my super shotgun, taking a few guys out up close with that, switching to my rail gun uh, and hitting them with like full sort of siege mode alternative weapon fire from my gun. Every almost every gun has two different alternative we- um, fire modes. Um, there's upgrades that you can do to the suit. There's upgrades you can do to the the play your your sort of playing mode itself. Uh, Gavin has his hand up, which is slightly odd that I can see that, so I'm going to have to get used to it. Gavin, how can I help? I have a question, sir. Um, Please do, sir. I'm, I'm just monologuing, so go for it. So as someone that played the multiplayer beta, yes. um, apart from the obvious, what the difference is, is it just as fast-paced on the, on the single player? Yes, it is, but you're going to feel like it's much more manageable because okay. of something that I think I might have missed out in my review, actually, um, which maybe it's because it became so um, kind of rote in the game. Not rote in a bad way, but it became such a normal way of playing that I didn't think of it as something unique when I actually came to do the review, which is the glory kill system. Now, what that means is when you shoot an enemy, and if you don't quite kill him, he'll flash, like, bluey gold color to know that he's, like, stunned, and then you can come in and finish him off with a melee attack. And what that means is you can control the encounters much better. So you can stun a bunch of guys with like a, a big explosive like rocket sort of barrage or something to that effect. And then you can take them out one after another. They don't stay stunned forever, but it gives you enough breathing room to really sort of think about the encounters and pace them out. And what it also does is when you do do a glory kill, you're going to get your health uh, and armor and ammo out of enemies sometimes as well. So it kind of like you end up playing the game a little bit more strategically than you maybe you would have thought you would have sort of originally when you're coming into a Doom game. But it's it really adds a level to the combat, which is yeah really compelling and exciting and fun to do and so gory. I love it. Bits of demons all over me. You know, I'm hearing lots of good things about specifically the, the single player campaign mm-hmm. mode. Lots yeah. of good things. I think it surprised a lot of people. I mean, I mean, I played that multiplayer beta. I enjoyed it, but I never, I just never dreamed that they have done a, such a, a sort of faithful reboot of the original in the way they have. It's lengthy. There's um, even there's even a fun kind of story in there, which I did not expect. Um, they do this thing with like, uh, or, not audio logs, but like codex entries, if you like, which fill in the universe. They talk about the environments, the guns, the creatures, and stuff, and they do it in this really scientific, po-faced way, which I'm pretty sure is... In, is you f- At first glance, it seems to be unintentionally, unintentionally hilarious because it's so, like, what the fuck? Do you know what game you're in right now? Um, but I actually think they did it very intentionally by the end, uh, and some of the writing is absolutely just... It's fabulous. And it just, like, you know, explaining why cacodemons create balls of electricity through the synapses in their brains combined with the demon energy that's coming up through the ground, you know, in a symbiotic relationship with this and that, and you're like, shut up, let me blow it up. It's great. <laughs> I love it's so that. Much like, fun. like, that's impairing your enjoyment. I, I really like these cacodemons, but it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they've, they've left... Uh, There's a codex, let me check. They've left no stone unturned. But what yeah. if they don't understand... We'll make them. <laughs> like, explanations of how the shotgun works. Like, it's a shotgun. <laughs> I don't need to know how it works. It blew that fucker's brains out. That's all I need to know. 
Uh, it's it's no, it's fabulous. Uh, because of all of this, uh, I'm rereading Masters of Doom, which is this fantastic book. I highly recommend to everybody about um, its creation, how John Romero and John Carmack came together, uh, their their development story, how they moved through Doom and Quake and other projects and stuff like. That. It's absolutely brilliant. If you if you're at all interested in the inside uh, inside baseball of, of video games. It's one of the best, if not the best, novel I've ever read about about that stuff, which is fantastic. So I highly recommend that as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the Doom novels, which are better than I remember them being. So that's they're quite good as well, in a terrible kind of way. But yeah, Doom, live it, love it, buy it, play it, do it. Have Doom. to check it out. Oh, it's really, really good. Seriously, really special, really special. Anything from you, Richard? Are you gonna buy? Are you gonna play Doom? I think I am. I, you know, I wasn't that fussed until I saw your review and started hearing about other people talk about the campaign. Because um, mm. for me, Doom always was about the campaign. Yep. We forget that when that came out, online gaming didn't really exist in the, in the way that it does now. And my first experience of multiplayer Doom was hooking up two PlayStation 1s um, wow. on two massive CRT televisions. So, you know, much more convenient these days. Back in the day, it was all about the single player for me. Um, mm. Most of the time, so if that if that's good, I'm interested in that. Yeah, Just... the, the, uh, people I think give a little bit too much. I mean, people remember Doom multiplayer because it was the first deathmatch. Um, yeah. But really, its multiplayer was Quake. And that's yeah. where they, they set it above, you know, they just blew the fucking doors off of Quake when it came to multiplayer. Um, Doom itself was more like an experiment, and it was kind of a novelty. I mean, I, I remember playing it, networking up some school computers and um, putting Doom on there illicitly, and we all got in trouble for it, but it was totally worth it playing that over a week's worth of lunchtimes. So I'll never forget that. And that's, that's why Doom, like I said, will always be held in my heart in a very special place, as it was kind of that first game that really got me into gaming. Um, so, you know, back in 94. Scared the shit out of me. Yeah, terrifying. Brilliantly terrifying. That's the only, I was one of the only downsides about this new Doom. It's not scary. And I don't think it tries to be scary either, really. Um, which is a shame. I mean, Doom 3 was very much a survival horror game. Yes. I, uh, that's, and, I remember that on the PC from, what, yeah. 2003 or 4? And yeah. I remember the, gra- I had a, I had like a really high spec laptop. I got a copy of that. And I don't think I played it. It was I was so scared that I hardly play, hardly played it. It's a very dark game, very atmospheric game. A lot of cheap kind of jump scares. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But That's enough. It's almost like they went, well, we tried that. It wasn't a massive success. That because Doom Three is a reboot of the first Doom as well. Uh, and this one, they've gone, no, nah, not gonna do horror. Let's just do that kind of that nostalgic view of Doom, which was big explosions, lots of gore. Um, you know, speed um, and and crazy bonkers storyline, uh, and and let's not try and be too serious with it. Uh, and it's a little bit of a shame that they lost the horror uh, element because I thought it was quite a, an integral part of that Doom experience. But hey, you know, everything else is pretty much there. You'd recognise the guns instantly. You recognise all the monsters straight away, and it's great to see how they've updated the looks of everything. And, and it's it's brilliant. What yeah. what rating did you give it? I gave it four out of five stars on the new X, on the new BXB rating system. Yeah. 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 yeah, should we talk about? Do you want to talk about the rating system, guys? How we yeah. change things up, and yeah. how rating systems are arbitrary bollocks that we only use because, well, we kind of feel like we have to. So, oh. yeah, could talk yeah. about it. Probably didn't lose enough listeners on the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just push out the rest. Let's talk about scoring systems. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, look, they, they listen to me about Doom. Um, you know, simply put, we had a ten point, hundred point system scoring things out of ten. Uh, and we've we've done away with that because we thought it was 
kind of pointless because you know you, you basically get scores that were mostly sevens and eights, and then the bad ones would all be threes and fours. So what's the point of having ten points yeah, when sure. you don't use it? So we've gone to a five point system which basically starts as terrible, below average, good, great, and then something special at five. Um, so yeah, I think it's more representative of how we feel about games now. You guys think, want to put anything in? Well, uh, what I would say as well is, despite the fact that you know the guys, you know, particularly Richard, that write these fantastic reviews, that some people do just want to scroll to the bottom and find out what you gave it, or some people will just read the first and last paragraph, and just because they don't necessarily appreciate your good writing, it doesn't mean that they don't necessarily care. They're still on your site. They still want to know what you thought, but they're lazy or whatever. And also, I guess as well from a kind of corporate perspective, it's easy to feed back to games makers or PR people in a very succinct manner, you know, to give it. So I understand it from that perspective. I think in an ideal world, you know, people read what you say and they can garner from your thoughts what you thought. But um, yeah, scoring system still kind of necessary, I suppose, in some regards. A bit like having genres in a music store or something. You know, some people will be like. Oh well, it spans multi-genres, or it doesn't matter. But you kind of still got to make it a bit easy for people to understand where you're at. Gives people that initial hook, doesn't it? I mean, I'm not too precious about scores. I mean, I did go through a phase of thinking, well, if people aren't going to read what I've spent hours writing, then I ain't going to give them some shorthand, an excuse to ignore it. But then, if they're not going to read it without a score um, or with a score, what difference does it make? So. I'm not too fast, and five, I think five a five star system is a good sort of compromise um, to make sure that people do have that hook in, and it makes people think, well, oh, that's an interesting score for a, a game that I, I was expecting maybe it'd be at the top end. It's not. Maybe I'll give that a read and find out why. Yeah. It's a nice shorthand, and it gets you out of that hole that I've had sometimes, where people will say, well, nice review, but it, it sounded like a six, and you've given it seven, and you think, well. Fuck off. <laughs> well, that's, I, think yeah. I felt that about one of your reviews, actually. I was reading it and thinking, oh, wow, he's really, you know, he's not that impressed. And then it was like, and I give it an 8 out of 10. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's down to interpretation. There is less room for that to happen with a five-star system. So. I mean, I was going to say, I won't name names or anything, but there was a review that came across my desk for proofing not that long ago. And I read the review, and then I talked to the guy who wrote it, and I was like... Uh, I don't think the score's right. And we ended up having this conversation. I wanted it to be higher. He wanted it to, I wanted it to be lower. He wanted it to be higher. And, you know, bottom, you know, mm, why? And that was part of the thing that made me think about this system and maybe changing the system we had. It, it just it just was a silly conversation in many ways. Yeah. Um, and it was just like the system we have now, I expect there to be a lot. It's going to be a lot simpler. And yeah. you probably will see those five stars a lot less. Yeah. Because I think the game will have to be uh, have to be some like I said I think something special is a good word for it something that like is really standing out. But that's why Doom isn't a five because it's brilliant and it's fantastic and it's great, which is where I put it. But it's not necessarily anything new. Let me ask you something now. This is standing out. This is a bit. New. This is a bit um, arbitrary. Yes, it um, always ratings you, are. It usually is. Um, but you, considering you gave The Division an 8 out of 10, it's a bit too um, pedantic to kind of say you'd automatically give it a 4 out of 5. But if you mm. rescored it now on the 5 score thing, would you move that to a 3? 
The other problem is with reviews as well is that like I finished Doom a while ago now and I'm sat with it and so I'm thinking about it. You know, I'm sitting there thinking about it quite a bit, and then when I'm talking about it more, I'm thinking to myself, well, hmm, maybe it is better than four, maybe it is a five. Time with the division, it's like the more time you spend with the game. When I finished that game prior to review. Um, it was before the patches, it was before the updates, it was before these things like this. Uh, it was before the technical problems and the glitches became an issue in the dark zone. So the question is, you know, would I score it lower now because of those problems, or does that score at the time stand because that's how I felt with it at the time? And I think it's fair to say I probably wouldn't change it because you have to score it and be honest with yourself as something is at in that moment, you know, and that's your opinion in that moment, you know. So it's it's. You know, I don't want to become—I don't want to become a polygon where they go back. You know, their scores are weird anyway because the scores, say polygon, aren't decided by the reviewer. They're decided by like a committee of the editors based on what's written, right? And then yeah. their scores can also change over time based on how the game changes over time. Now, I'm not—I'm not sure I'd like that. No, I think I a score—I I think a score should reflect what it is and in that moment. From your perspective, agreed. Because I think, what if, what if you say a particular game is ten out of ten, best game ever, or best game of the year, mm. and then come near the end of the year, another game comes out which is just head and shoulders above. Yeah, does it the, move it back? Does, do, do you then say, well, yeah. actually, this is the fun, this is the ten out of ten. So yeah. now that other game, we've got to move that down now to a nine. Exactly. It's just just confusing. It's so confusing. How far back do they go? Because it, it, yeah, Gav says uh, at the end of the year, it could be five years, ten, ten years. years. Yeah, exactly. So you can't keep revising it. Mm. Well, there's a great example. I, I I'm a big fan of films as well. You know, it's quite possible films will get discussed on here from time to time as well. Um, and a great example of of that was the Empire gave. I listened to the Empire podcast. They gave Attack of the Clones episode two a five star rating. Right now. What they talk about on the show, would that happen now? Probably not. But have they gone back and changed it? No. Because well, they have to stand by it. That's not what you do. You have to you have to stand by it. So yeah, I mean like um, I'm not gonna re- we're not gonna retroactively go back and turn the scores from out of ten into stars. That's that's unnecessary and I think, you know, they, they are what they are. Um, and we're going forward, we've got the five-star system, and I think, you know, that's that's a, a better system. See, this is the thing. People, when you hear about talking about ratings and stuff, you go, oh, God. But then, it actually, it's kind of interesting, because is, yeah. you're talking about points of view, and it's kind of arbitrary, and it's like, why is it stars? Why isn't it out of five shits? You know? That's, <laughs> well, we, that's, we that was one of the we suggestions, wasn't it? <laughs> we, there were many suggestions when I opened this up to all the creators on the site as to what direction to go, and I had to take it all on board and, and try and come out with the, the probably, the, in some ways, the most boring option. Um, but probably the fairest as well. Do you think, so. um, just a, as a final note on that, do you think that um, a, a rating should be based on analysing the technical aspects of the game or how much you actually enjoyed the game? Ooh, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, some sites and some reviewers will will lean in different directions. I am a feels kind of guy. I am very much about the the feeling I have from a game. Did I enjoy this game? Did I love this game? Did I hate this game? Uh, and that's how I write reviews. Some reviewers will be far more technically focused uh, and and pick apart uh, the graphics a bit more. Um, <laughs> it makes you think of the old style of reviews. Do you remember when it was like sound, graphics, story, <laughs> yeah. overall, percentage based on those sections. Each section would be scored. Some some sites used to score each section, and then the final score would be an average yeah, of those I scores. Remember that. I remember that. Bonkers, mate. That's yeah. crazy. I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. That's just nuts. Um, they have algorithms. I mean, GameSpot, I remember, used to have an algorithm that would work it all out, and it'd be like, what the fuck? Like, no, 
for me, it's feelings. Richard, where do you stand? I mean, are you different? Uh, kind of halfway between the two for me. I mean, it's about whether the game does something to entertain me more than whether it pushes the hardware of the console. Um, mm. But if it doesn't work properly, then that's obviously an impediment to my enjoyment. So it yeah. has to be a factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, it's always 100%, um, you know, that person's opinion. I'm not trying to review... I don't think we should try to review anything like from a weird. I get people moan at me all the time about this, and it's like, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to do like a the spec sheet of a car here, you know, or something crazy. It's my feelings about this pro this thing, yeah. you know. And another thing I'm not always fond of, but it does come up sometimes, is is bringing in the the price aspect the, into value, you know, that kind of thing. I think a game should try and be what it is regardless of its price, you know, so I'd rather not talk about oh my god, that was an amazing experience considering it was only £10. Well, it can work in the opposite way as well, where someone mm -hmm. might be like, oh, it was a really amazing game, but after mm -hmm. I had to buy all these additions, it was £100, so well, because of exactly, that, I'm giving it yeah. 11. That was exactly well, my problem with Destiny. Um, yeah. I think I, did, I, did I score um, Destiny a 7? The last update? Didn't No, you scored, yeah, you scored the update lower than the what you scored the core game, even though it improved yeah. the game. Yeah, but you had a really good reason for it. Yeah, it was really interesting when you did that. Yeah, I, I remember I was talking about it quite a bit on the on the podcast. Your your logic behind that decision, but, but you know, and that was your logic, and you were the reviewer, and that's what I think is important on BXB is people get to know the voices. Uh, and we aren't necessarily going to have a strict policy across all of it for like the whole site, but it's the individuals. And that's what BXP is all about, is the individuals. Yeah. So should we move on? That was interesting. I actually quite enjoyed talking about that. Um, what was it? We were, ah, well, we can't not talk about this. I mean, this is the, one of the hottest games right now. And I would like to throw over to Richard to, to bring us in on this one, which is The Uncharted. Division. The Division. No, Uncharted 4. Uncharted 4. That's what you interrupted me playing earlier on, Ben, with your... Yeah ridiculously early demands to test whether we could get this podcast working. Well, it helped, didn't it? We got it. Hopefully this is going to work wonderfully. Now it's doomed because I said that. Yeah, we, we had just enough time, didn't we? So I didn't need to be there over an hour earlier than we actually Oh, shut up. Um, anyway, yeah. I tried for. How far in are you? I don't know how big the game is, but going on past episodes, there are about 23 chapters, are they? Something 22. Like that. 22. 22. Right, I'm on 13, I think, or 14. So... Around where I am, I had to stop because of Doom to review. So I had to basically stop. I just got um, out to sea, shall we say, without right. spoiling anything. I'm on the boat for the first time, other than the intro. Okay. Uh, and that's where I've stopped uh, after a confrontation with someone, which was, oh my god, so emotional. Holy shit, as a married man, I was uh, like, fuck. Yeah, um, that was a gut punch. Well, I you're heard... just about to get to a really important turning point in the game. Okay, this okay. is where it starts well, I, again. I, I heard a very humorous thing that someone said this morning where they were like, there's 22 chapters, but be patient because it starts to pick up at chapter 10. I thought, bloody hell, that's yeah. a lot of gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> chapter 10, yeah. I've Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talking about how it's a slow start, and I agree. I, I definitely wasn't feeling hooked in by it in the beginning. Uh, it took me quite a while um, to get really into it. So, yeah, that was that's definitely true. Yeah, what did you feel about the opening, Richard? Um, I think it's quite slow. Um, just going, going back to the uh, technical discussion, the, Uncharted is obviously the game that people think is really going to push their PlayStation and it's going to be the benchmark of 
uh, what the console performance looks like today. And to, for me, that wasn't true for the first six to eight hours of the game. It felt like it was just good. Um, getting on, onto the boat section that you're on now and the coming sections that I won't spoil, it looks absolutely phenomenal. Oh, you, oh the visuals are. Yeah, incredible. Um, just, yeah. From a gameplay perspective, it's had a few... Um, sort of misses. Uh, it's more hit than miss, but there's there's a few issues with it that I thought well, that that was a little bit clumsy. The I don't think it's it's quite early on, so it's not too much of a spoiler to talk about the auction scene mm-hmm. um, where you have to get that key card to access a, a backdoor area. Yeah, um, I, I I felt the mini game to get that key card just felt a bit too clunky and. I didn't like where the game was going. I, I, it seemed like it was just going to have too much of those small little gameplay um, snippets rather than a, a cohesive experience. But it's getting much more towards the real Uncharted exploration adventure that I know and love from the previous trilogy. I was going to ask, actually, Richard, is Uncharted uh, like a series that people really love historically? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. yes. Because I've seen a lot of people defending it quite heavily whenever there's been any kind of hit back. Like even on the BXB Facebook group, there was a conversation Ooh. about it. And yeah. one person said they were a little disappointed. And they said it's still a great game, but it was it was kind of an 8 out of 10 for them. And they, they felt that some bits were a bit flat and that person kind of got a bit savaged. He did. I was kind of disappointed to see that, to be honest, um, because I agreed for the most part. I mean, I, I didn't jump in because I've not finished it. Um, and I thought that would be unfair. Because at the moment, I feel like I'm trying to rush through the combat to get to the bits I like. Because combat is fine. It's probably the best it's ever been. But I just don't enjoy them. I, I, I enjoy the uh, climbing, traversal stuff. Yeah. I enjoy the exploration. And I love the cutscenes, the storytelling. I genuinely care about those characters. And I really want to find out what happens. And that's why I'll finish it. Because the combat, which uh, it just doesn't excite me. Um, it's done fine, and I'm glad the the addition of the stealth mechanics have come in, and you can therefore mix some things up a little bit. But nah, the moment to moment combat is just kind of dull. It's not that great, is it? And I, I think the the character stuff that is why people would take it personally if you didn't enjoy it quite as much as they did, because it's kind of the standard bearer for characters in video games. It's the it's the one that has those one liners um, that aren't just someone walking into a recording studio and reading off the script. They feel natural. These people feel like they're real people. You mean unlike uh, Resident Evil on the PlayStation or something? Yeah, it's kind of unlike that, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Resident Evil 6 is unlike a lot of games as well, by the fact that it's terrible. But they, yeah. but they really re-released that one first. That's, that's important that they did that. But um, well, that's testament to Uncharted 4, though, that if it's not... I mean, nothing's having to be a perfect game, but if it's got these perceived flaws but it's still carried so highly by certain aspects of the game then that's testament to the quality of the game overall I suppose. It's a good game Um, a a lot of it rides on how it finishes and I don't know that yet Yeah. Um, this is being set up as Nathan Drake's final adventure and um, it would be very difficult so the makers tell us to make a sequel with Nathan Drake so, not sure what's going to happen yet still at this stage, um, but it's definitely got lots of pieces in play to make it an interesting story so far, and it could fall a number of ways. Uh, so I'm interested to see how that plays out. But yeah, it's definitely up there with the rest of the trilogy, 
Um, but then even Uncharted 3, which got quite a lot of flack, I really enjoyed that one. Um, so I, I think I probably love it more than most, I would say. Okay. Yeah, it's a great series, man, Gavin. Yeah, I definitely highly recommend if you can get hold of um, a PS4 and get the, the collection uh, at some point and, and go back and, and experience it. You know, I would definitely say it's one of the best. I think, uh, without a doubt, the second game is the standout um, experience. It's yeah. still, to me, the best one. Though we'll see we'll see what happens. Like you said, the four. I think it's got so much on this third act and how things are concluded and how they're brought together at the end uh, to actually see if this is going to really stand up for me as, as one of the great experiences. Because right now... I'm sat on that boat and I'm looking at uh, this sort of area I'm going to be exploring and I'm just thinking to myself, I just want another cutscene. I just really want to see a movie, really. What, so you just you you'd rather watch a film? Uh, yeah, in a way. I mean, it's the story and the characters that I'm invested in. It's certainly not the moment-to-moment gameplay. I mean, the the thing that really elevates it though is, my God, it is the most beautiful game I have ever played. I've seen some like, video footage and it does look stunning. Oh my God. Like, we should point awesome. out, though, that the, the character stuff in Uncharted, it's not just cutscene. They do a no. really good job of working that into the gameplay itself. Yes. So yes. walking around with your NPCs, they'll um, comment on things that they see and that um, you're doing, and it all feels very natural. They'll refer to things that um, maybe you've driven past a pirate ship or something earlier on, and they'll reference that in their speech. Or if you didn't pass it, they won't. And it all feels not just like canned chat. It's all very natural feeling and just draws you into that experience all the more. Uh, one other thing I would say, Gav, if you don't get a PS4, and some will think it's heresy for me to say this, try Quantum Break. Um, that's not uh, too far away in experience from Uncharted. A lot of people won't like me saying... Do you know what? That surprised case, me. It, I, it thought, is. I thought you were going to say Tomb Raider. Um, but no, you surprised me with the Quantum Break recommendation. I really enjoyed Quantum Break a lot, actually. Again, I think I gave that an 8 out of 10. That's and, got a lot of um, cutscenes, right? It, well, not really. No, they're live action. So it's it's cut together with a TV show, basically. Right. It's uh, a really interesting piece of experimental kind of interactive fiction, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really, really cool. No, good shout, Richard. Actually, I think that's a that's a really good recommendation. Actually, if you've not got a not got a PS4, give Quantum Break a go. No, that's a that's a very good idea. Um, quickly though, let's. I mean, we sort of touched on it with Gavin's mentioning that a savaging people got for a negative opinion of Uncharted. I think the great example of this was the kind of like um, purposefully contrary review the Washington Post put out. This guy is famous for not going with the masses, and uh, well, the response online was somewhat insane. Um, with a petition for him to change their Metacritic um, representation of the score because the actual review didn't have a score, but when they got it on Metacritic, Metacritic asked them to put a score on it to give them a score so they could use it, and they decided it should be a 4 out of 10. Again, with the arbitrariness of, of scoring, considering the review didn't actually have a score on it, and there's a petition for them to take that review off of Metacritic because it's uh, unduly affecting the average on there. So, but um, is that not the idea of an average? That it, <laughs> that it represents lots of people's feelings. Like, did, did the did the score match what the words said in the review? Yeah. Well, the, it was, yeah, it did, and it was a decision made by, I believe, the guy who wrote the review and his editor that that was the score you should have. They chose the score. It wasn't Metacritic choosing a score, yeah. as some uh, incorrectly reported in the beginning. Um, it, and I just think uh, the only problem I had with this was that one of the amazing voice actors on Uncharted, uh, Troy Baker, who voices Sam, and has voiced many other things amazingly, including Joel in The Last of Us, he legitimised this petition by signing it and then tweeting that he'd signed it. 
and therefore sort of saying that this public reaction to a critical review was okay. And I, I had somebody should have told him to shut the fuck up and not do that, because that 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 somewhat upset me that he would think that was an okay thing to do. But they, yeah, sets a bit of a precedent. It does a bit, doesn't it? It was foolish, I believe, of him. But I mean, what do you think of all that, Richard? I mean, like, we're just talking about scoring and just talking about reviews. How would you feel if you had an army of thousands telling you you were wrong because you know the majority was going the other way? But you can't be wrong. Exactly. Well, how can you be wrong when it's your yeah. opinion? I don't yeah. understand how you can petition someone to have a different opinion. You well, know? was it? Um, I saw the link that Ben sent over from Kotaku, and it basically that one of their gripes was that they didn't feel that the reviewer was able to articulate enough reasoning behind some of the scathing comments. I haven't actually read the review, so I don't know kind of how fair that is, but I, I guess maybe people might be pushed to think that way if they really, really disagree with the review. But as you say, it's it's the guy's opinion, right? Yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I kind of think that if someone is that bothered about an average score on Metacritic, if it's that much of an issue to them that they want to take the time to set up a petition, wouldn't that time be better spent reading the reviews themselves to find out what the outliers were and getting an educated message on the whether the game is good or not? Or maybe they've already played the game and why do they care what the review says? Well, what's the they byproduct? They enjoy it. What's the down point? What's the byproduct? What's the res- the negative result apart from someone wrote something I didn't like? Well, there well, is I... something. There is okay. something, depending on a piece of information I don't have, that is that some developers and publishers will tie the bonuses uh, that the people that work on a game will make into the average score Metacritic will give it. For example, if they get an under, say, an average of 8 out of 10... They don't get their bonuses on the game. Now, I don't know if Naughty Dog and Sony do that. I don't believe they do because I believe Sony does a milestone-based bonus system. But there are developers and publishers that do do that. Now, therefore, an outlying review that could pull the score down could have a negative effect on somebody's paycheck, which would be shit, to say the least. (laughs) Well, one, one, I guess, thing... That I could probably bring up that might fit under this to a degree, particularly if what you say is, you know, true. Um, within some sports, boxing, for instance, is one where if one of the judges does something completely against what the other two judges have done, then that might come under scrutiny. The result being they, they won't change a decision, but that judge may potentially not be asked to officiate future events but it would take and even that to be honest doesn't happen very often like there's there's some that have got reputations for doing this and going against the groove and they'll be there judging every championship fight that happens in Las Vegas every single time so I don't know I mean it's who's got the control you know or who's who's cool is it to say I don't like the way you do this or you don't follow the grain you must go I think it's fair to say in this situation, what I just explained, that's the fault of Metacritic having too much power. That is not the fault of the Washington Post's review. Sure. You know, that That is not on him at the Washington Post. That is on Metacritic having way too much influence over how the sausage is made, um, considering they're just this bullshit aggregate website that, that shouldn't matter at all. But Even if it has some sort of impact, that doesn't account for the people signing this petition, because I would... I would guarantee that the majority of them are not Naughty Dog employees looking after their own bonus. 
It's just well, they people... could. Well, they're not just altruistic individuals that think these guys made an amazing game. They deserve their bonuses. No, man. I, I think oh what it God. is is people misunderstanding what a review is for. It's yep. there to inform you of whether a game is worth buying or not, or whether well, it's uh, uh, of interest to you. <laughs> I'm not sure a review is to inform. It's not. Shouldn't necessarily be about buying decisions. But uh, I'm not sure I agree with that. But uh, at the same time, why do you why do you think people read reviews? To affirm their own bias. I think that's why people end up. <laughs> I, I think that's why people end up writing petitions mm. because it's you. Oh my gosh, you didn't agree with me and my friends. But yeah, I guess that's a lot of people. Like, that's what this is about. This is about uh, an outlier that doesn't affirm someone's previously held bias. This is because these people believe it should be a 9 or a 10 out of 10, and I want to only read reviews that agree with my opinion, because that's yeah. what the internet's become. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that that's what reviews are sometimes seen as, but to me, yeah. that's not what they're for. Well, I think it's a mixture. I'd like to think that there's some people that read reviews and go, oh, I wasn't sure, but yeah, that's a good review, and he's rated it highly. Maybe I'll go and buy it, but maybe that's just my little utopian view on it. Who knows? Well, I like at the very yeah, least, yeah. it's to say something different about the game that you don't know. It's not mm -hmm. so if it's to just to reaffirm what you already think. What's the point in reading it? A lot you know? of people do that, though. A lot of people do it. Yes. Or, or conversely, I like to think I play a game sometimes, and I think, oh man, that was a maybe it wasn't for review or whatever, but it was an eight out of ten. That was a four out of five. And then I'll go online and find the ones that are on the other end of the spectrum because I'm like, wow, okay, cool. He he clearly didn't agree with that. I'm really curious as to see why, you know. Okay, I've, read a a reason. I've read a review, I've done the same thing, and then gone, that's bullshit, or like, that's totally wrong. But I can't imagine ever feeling like I would sign a petition or start a petition. I can't imagine getting that angry and thinking it's that important. But, you know, each to their own. Well, you know what they say about online petitions anyway. Not worth the paper they're written on. <laughs> so, shall we move on <laughs> to... Um, I think we've, we've covered a lot of stuff here. We've been going for quite a while. Uh, about an hour and a half of recording now. Fingers crossed this won't be lost. Uh, I think we should end on a slightly sad note, and I think it's definitely one that deserves um, some acknowledgement, and that is the end of Lionhead. Okay. Uh, basically, Eurogamer they did this amazing retrospective, the guys over there. I, I don't have his name in front of me. An amazingly well-written piece about the history of Lionhead. One of the most famous British developers lasted very nearly 20 years. Uh, it was created by Peter Molyneux of Hype fame. And um, basically, you know, known for the Fable series, known for black and white in the movies as well before that. Do you guys have any particular fond memories of a Lionhead game that you'd like to share in memory of these amazing developers? Well, first thing I'd like to say, actually, is that, number one, that article, everyone go out and find it and read it. It's a really long read, but it's wonderful. And Cards on the Table, it filled in so many gaps for me because my initial reaction, I think it was the post that you'd written, Ben, was quite flippant, and it was based purely on stories I'd heard over the years about how Peter Molyneux interferes and he meddles and he lies and he's upset so many people, everything going back to the famous tree episode with Fable and how he said it would follow your whole lifespan and the tree would grow and any acorn that dropped and oh, Peter Molyneux terribly just lies and bullshits and oh yeah, you know, they got what they deserved. And then I read that article and it was like, there's a lot more going on and a lot more to this. Um, but to go to your question, uh, for me, the main one would be the first Fable game. Yeah, that's that's. The, I mean, for, for me, it was Fable Two. I think that kind of that hit. They, they achieved their ambitions. They they achieved most of their promises, and it really felt like the culmination of the vision of what the Fable universe would be. Uh, and and it would it blew me away. It was a fantastic game. What about you, Richard? 
think Fable Two as well. Um, the the famous thing is the dog, isn't it? Um, yes. Yes. But what struck me the most was the uh, transgender potion. <laughs> That's my my favourite memory playing. Uh, although the co-op was pretty much terrible in that game, um, I did play it quite a bit with a friend, and just seeing him turn into a woman halfway through the game and it just treats it like it's, it's not a joke or anything in particular I thought it was quite a forward thinking I had um, a gay marriage thing in one of the games as well didn't they like, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. quite forward thinking I suppose yeah. they talk yeah. about that in the Eurogamer article yeah. how they basically were breaking down um, boundaries and, and I think the bit that's talking about the dog is like one day Peter came into a meeting and said there's going to be a dog and we're going to kill it <laughs> and that was that was how the decision was made and it is like, and then make it like you know, that's what Peter was like, and it sounds like what a visionary. I mean, that's a, a true auteur. I mean, that's that's the kind of person I feel like we don't have enough of in games. Development. Yes, he promised the world and often missed, but you know, if you don't strive for these things, if you don't try to achieve these things, and, and you know, put your teams in these awkward positions where this guy's gone to a press a press junket and promised all this shit, and they're just like uh, in the office going, "What? We haven't done any of that. Oh fuck!" You know, I think that's that's amazing. That's crazy. It's bonkers, and that's so British. Um, well, and I love that. <laughs> one, of the, one of the good bits of trivia from that article actually is um, that you know it tells you the strength of Peter Molyneux's ne- like name when people probably didn't even realise at the time that Fable wasn't even a Peter Molyneux no. game. No, I, mean, I, I don't think game. I realised that at all until I read that. Yeah. I didn't realise it came from another studio that they folded in. Yeah, yeah. Which is which was crazy. Uh, I didn't know that at all. Um, but it's it's like I said, twenty years. Um, we were we were until recently a single format Xbox website, and the fact that Microsoft killed this studio um, when you know they've kept kept Rare going, producing crap, but they kill Lionhead uh, with a game with a new Fable Legends game which was ninety five percent completed um, after those poor developers struggling to make it. I feel. I feel really bad that Microsoft's done that, uh, and I kind of wish they'd given them another chance and and let them, you know, really rise to their potential. Um, so it sucks, man. You know, it's sad. It's, it's, sad. Sucks. it's really, really sad. Um, and you know, that's just the way it is. But anyway, E3 is just around the corner. Uh, I hopefully will be doing an E3 prediction show as our next podcast, uh, and there's loads of content constantly going up on the website, guys. The website is bxbgames.co.uk. Reviews such as my review of Superhot, my review of Party Hard, and my review of the Stories of Path of Destiny are all on the website. Mostly my reviews because Richard and Gavin are really lazy. Um, but that's you know that's on them. That's on them. I'm amazing. So just you know that's fine. Um, We've <laughs> nothing. You're just gonna silently agree with me and let me get away with I'm, that. Okay. Sorry, I was, I was busy hanging my head in shame. I, I just said more. I should just big myself up more. You're just gonna agree by not by not replying. Even the even the baby agrees. That shows the the level of your laziness, people. Yeah, I'm gonna have to have, go and have a word with her. Give me a second. <laughs> be be right back. <laughs> yeah. uh, BRB that is by the way um, Gavin in case you didn't know I know you're not up with your abbreviations oh he literally has muted himself and gone away okay that's that's fair enough that's what pe- that's what old people gamers like us have to deal with things like wives and children isn't it Richard and dogs Frank and dogs Frank. Frank Frank's amazing he's like the fourth member of the podcast I love Frank but yeah, like I was saying, we've been playing lots and lots of games and loads of stuff we've not had a chance to even cover in this episode because I guess we've been away so long We've we've been rambling a little bit, Richard. Not rambling that much. Is there anything you wanted to bring up in the end here, Richard? Nope. 
Nope. Throw to Richard, get nothing. That's how it works. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, can, you can follow the website in general, at BXB Games on Twitter. We have a very active Facebook feed now, uh, and a group. Please join the group, join in the conversation on there. That would be great. We'd love to have you on there. I'm also at D-I-Y-E on Twitter. Richard, you are? I'm at Colonel Red on Twitter. Um, Gavin, Gavin, I don't know what he is. He's disappeared, so we could try to vamp until he comes back, I suppose. I think he's just G, isn't he? I I see him returning. The beauty of video, you can actually see things like this happening. Hopefully he'll come back on and we can ask him. This is is how it works, live recording people. Gavin, Gavin, who who are you on Twitter? Where can people find you? On Twitter, at Gav Handley, G-A-V-H-A-N-D-L-E-Y. You can come and pester me. I don't use Twitter as much as I used to, but that's where you can find me, and I will find you. Cool, excellent. And uh, I'll throw out some gamer tags as well. I'm Hall Ben on Xbox. I'm uh, at no. There's no at. No. J three three J for Jeej. So J three three J. And I'm Colonel Red with a space between the two words, unlike on Twitter. It's an important. Did nobody else uh, try and get new names? Because Microsoft put up like. A nearly a million unused gamer tags in the week. I might try and get my old one, which was... Well, I'm not going to say what it is, because someone no. might go and take it. <laughs> I'm going to go and take it straight away. That's what I'm going to do. But like I said, that was, a, that was a bumper show, and I feel like it was a good uh, 90 minutes plus of podcasting, and we'll be back in a week, in two weeks. At some point, we'll see when it comes up, and we'll do another show. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being on. Maybe you'll be on next time. Maybe we'll change it to somebody with less beard to balance things out. Um, I'm I'm not sure. We'll see what happens. It was really good having you, Gavin. Actually, thanks. Uh, it was really good having you as well, Richard. Thanks. Good to be back. Uh, yeah, isn't it? And uh, hopefully, this is all going to work, and you'll see it slash hear it soon. So, until next time, bye. 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 Don't forget to wave. <laughs>